welcome to this week's edition of DMZ America. It's Monday, August 16th. I'm Scott Stantis coming to you from the right. From the left, I'm Ted Rawl. And we have some massive news happening around the world. But first and foremost, and we're, we're going to focus on this podcast, is Afghanistan and the remarkable speed of the collapse of the American presence there and the rise of the Taliban back into power. Um, you want me to take the lead here, Ted? Because sure, by all means. I'm going to defer much of the conversation to Ted because, first off, Ted has traveled extensively in that region. But <laughs> Ted loves it when I say this. He was right. He called this 20 years ago. He, you called this, I mean, to the letters, which is amazing. But before we, we, we dive into that, I just want to mention my feelings on watching this today and how aghast I am at many people's response to it. Now, fair enough. I'm 62 years old. Um, I was 16 years old when Saigon, Saigon fell. This is exactly the same thing. I mean, there are nuanced differences, obviously, but for the most part, it's the same thing. We didn't see it coming. We pull out um, the people we've been fighting for, for the better part of two decades, come back because, well, they were always there. The level of sadness I'm feeling today is tantamount to what that 16-year-old self felt. The loss of life, the life loss of treasure. Um, the loss of national prestige, the loss of the ideals that drive this country, supposedly, um, it stabs at the heart of what this country stands for. And as I look at social media, particularly this morning, I look at the Republicans saying, see, Biden can't do anything right. And of course, this wasn't, you know, this started with President Trump, and he was right to get out of a war that we shouldn't have gotten into in the first place, certainly not to this degree. Uh, the second side is seeing liberals talk about how this isn't Biden's fault. And I'm just going, well, you know, it's, it's here's the thing. It happens on your watch. It's your fault. Uh, Jerry Ford did not cause the fall of Saigon, but Jerry Ford was president of the United States when Saigon fell, hence his fault. So today, as an American, as a human being, I just feel great sadness and remorse. Um, I can say that I did not support this war um, to the extent that many of my compatriots did, many Americans obviously did. Um, Iraq is a completely different story and we'll talk about that some other time. But right now, dang, Ted, <laughs> it's just, it's just we're watching the video and the news coming from the air, from Kabul airport, um, watching people fall off airplanes who are clinging to it to just get the hell out of there. I mean, I need to tell the listeners something. You, I know I said at the, at the top, I want to repeat it. You were absolutely correct in calling how this was going to end. Absolutely. So go ahead and if you give us some background on how you, what you predicted and how it's come to, to fruition. Yeah, I mean, I guess a little background. Um, you know, I was in Afghanistan in November, December 2001, covering the war for the Village Voice and uh, KFI Radio in Los Angeles. And uh, I wrote a piece for the Village Voice that uh, you can still find online uh, that said how we lost the war in Afghanistan. I remember uh, that piece. When did you write that? I think it appeared in December 2001. And uh, it was wow. basically talking about uh, America's complete unwillingness and disinterest 
in the political and tribal and religious complexities of a country that they were seeking to radically change and transform from a medieval Islamic society into a modern, uh, you know, nation state as we know it. And, uh, you know, just, just the complete bull in a China shop approach that we had to it. And, you know, what I argued at the time and um, was that, look, the United States was never going to have the political will to, uh, to, to, to see this to its logical conclusion and was never going to, even though we invested $2 trillion and uh, we, uh, you, ten, uh, sorry, th- many thousands of American troops lost their lives there and uh, many more tens of thousands of troops uh, suffered uh, psychological and permanent physical disabilities from that war. So it's not like we didn't invest anything. We invested an awful lot. But it wasn't going to be enough to get the job done because there just simply wasn't enough in it for us in Afghanistan in terms of oil or, or natural gas or minerals or anything. Um, all there was was geopolitical posturing, uh, pressuring uh, neighboring Iran, uh, Russia, China, uh, Pakistan, and using Afghanistan as a launching pad for attacks into the tribal areas of uh, Northwest, what they used to call the Northwest Frontier Province, uh, Waziristan in, in Pakistan. And I just, I just said, like, this is just not going to work because we're not going to move there the way that the Brits did in 1839 in the first Afghan war, and they brought their families. Um, we're not bringing our furniture. We're not marrying the Afghans. We're not going to colonize this place. We're going to try to do it the American way. Uh, proxy war style, but not proxy war style, and do it on the cheap. And, you know, it, we did. We did it on the cheap. And even though, of course, it wasn't cheap, but it was not a winnable project for a country that's configured, whose politics are configured the way that they are. We just didn't have, I'm not sure anyone could have succeeded at this project, but I do know that the United States could not succeed. Uh, The Russians had a better shot than we did because their culture is closer geographically and otherwise to the Afghan culture. Um, But we just, we couldn't do this. This was not, um, this was always not gonna work. Um, I I, I said it over and over, and there weren't very many of us. I mean, you know, don't forget in Congress, zero U.S. senators, and, and that includes Bernie Sanders, Sanders voted against this war. Uh, and in the House of Representatives, only one congressperson, Barbara Lee, uh, who was ridiculed and reviled for doing so, voted against invading Afghanistan. So this was a war that was popular with over 90 percent of the public. Um, people, uh, you know, they just didn't think about it. And it. it you know, or they didn't think right about it. Well, and they talk about, you mentioned, you touched on the complexity of not just the, uh, you know, the, the fundamentals of exercising war, but also the religious component, the cultural components involved in, in doing this. And we don't, we don't, we didn't seem to care. We Same happened in Iraq. We walked, we stumbled into that. Um, we, we had no idea that there was effectively three countries there. You had Sunni, you had Shia, and you had Kurdish. And you guess, we, we were absolutely surprised and shocked. Now, I want to come back to- how And Afghanistan you, is more like seven, by the way. Well, and it, no one's done. I mean, Alexander the Great, who was great because, you know, it's in his name. <laughs> you know, it's like he couldn't do it. He gets there. He goes, oh, no. And he married right. off his sister and left. And even that didn't work. Um, it- I mean, obviously the British have been there. The Russians have been there now. The Americans have been there. Um, the British our, three times. Was it three times? 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's three Afghan wars and the, you know, the most, the people always like to forget. I, I know, you know, this story, Scott, but the first Afghan war, uh, they, there were about 20,000 British troops and their camp followers and their families. The Afghans killed all but one, all but one. They, who they, by the way, stabbed numerous times. He barely made it back. There's a famous uh, British military painting called Signal Catastrophe that you can just Google. And it's uh, Dr. Bryson or Bryden, I think it's Bryden, who was the last survival uh, survivor of the uh, of the uh, of the British Army in Afghanistan, they let you know they let him live so he'd go back and tell them what happened. Jesus, I mean, no, they're, they're I mean they're tough mothers. Let's face it, and uh, the idea that we could go in there and somehow foist democracy on a country that clearly wasn't clamoring for it. Well, we didn't we didn't give them democracy though. We we were we the thing well, about Afghans is you know these are people who you know for all of their foibles they're very intelligent. You know, it's, it's Darwinism at work. Uh, no one survives living in a, such a difficult place uh, over endless years of conflict unless they're smart. And Afghans are smart and they don't like bullshit. And man, they knew we were bullshitting about democracy. We came in there. If we'd allowed a democracy to happen, we would have let them elect their own leaders, let the chips fall where they may, even if they ended up electing the Taliban. And then helped them out and said, okay, well, we've done our best and left. But we didn't allow the Taliban or any Taliban-like political party to run. And I can understand why we didn't, but it was a bad decision. And then also we didn't, um, you know, we didn't let them elect who they wanted to. It was the exiled king of Afghanistan who had been deposed back in the 1970s by the Soviets, uh, who was living in Rome. He would have won the election as a caretaker president and uh, at the Loya Jirga that was held in late 01, early 02. And the Bush administration put their thumbs on the scales, acting like the DNC going after Bernie, and they didn't let him win. And they installed their guy, Hamid Karzai, who by his own account was a paid CIA asset. I mean, hello. Yeah, no, I mean, you know how I love flags. I'm a vexiologist. I'm a member of the North American Vexiology Society. I mean, I love flags. I've got hundreds of them. So a little crazy about this. And just, I love to distill things down to basic tenants and here are basic maybe stories. And here, I mean, we actually said, here's your, oh, by the way, here's your flag saluted. Right. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah, literally, we didn't even let them choose that. And, you know, by the way, I'll, I'll bring you a Taliban flag when I come back next time. Did there. you see the picture? I forget where I, I, I think you posted of the guy selling the, the Taliban flags. Yeah. I yeah. That, that yeah. to me is from your from talking to you all these years, a, a, a great description of Afghanistan. Here, this this force that, you know, may cause your life to be pretty miserable is coming in. And uh, oh, yeah, but, you know, you can still make a few shekels off of selling the flag. You know, so I, thought, I think that's I thought that was pretty smart, personally. Oh, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Like I'm, you may want this. You, you may really want this. This flag could save your life. Well, that's why I have all these flags just in case, Ted. In case, if, Djib <laughs> if Djibouti invades us, I'm, being, I'm going to be on the street corner waving the flag going, well, you, uh, I, for one, welcome our new Djiboutian overlords. <laughs> so. I can recall, and I, on Afghanistan, you and I really never disagreed because, again, I defer to you because of your, you do have extensive knowledge on this, and that's why this is an important podcast today. Um, 
but there were a bunch of people who just mocked you for, I mean, you, as you mentioned, I remember your column, how we lost Afghanistan, the Afghanistan war in 2001. I remember that and reading it and going, this is really smart. And then reading the responses, which was, you know, not. No, I mean, the thing is, look, I don't really, one of the things that bugs me about political prognostication is it's probably one of the only jobs that you can do, you can really suck at and you keep getting promoted. You know, I mean, if you were a brain surgeon and your patients kept dying, uh, you probably wouldn't be getting a lot more patients. Uh, you know, if you were a stockbroker and you were always represent, uh, recommending stocks that tanked, you know, you'd eventually be out of work. Uh, in any other profession, if you just suck by objective terms, you don't get to work anymore. But, you know, we have people like William Crystal on the right and Thomas Friedman on the left who are consistently wrong, especially about international affairs, especially about America's chances of prevailing in overseas uh, interventions, and they keep getting promoted. And meanwhile, people like Barbara Lee are marginalized and ridiculed. Uh, there aren't very many of us who were against the Afghanistan war in any kind of way. I mean, don't forget, Barack Obama ran for the presidency calling Afghanistan the good war that Bush took his eye off the ball of in order to invade uh, Iraq, which he called the dumb war. Um, you know, Democrats loved the Afghan war. I mean, it was a bipartisan, you know, we were, we, we were bipartisan when it came to invading Afghanistan. So, you know, look, my ego obviously has been bruised, but that's not what's important. What's important is to avoid making mistakes like this in the future. And I don't think we've learned anything because the same idiots who got us into this still have the mouthpieces in the mainstream media on cable news and in the major newspapers. Well, I get mocked a lot. And so do you, because we, we tend to look at history and, and say, you know, this has happened before. And in fact, you've mocked me because I talk about political things that have happened, particularly presidential politics. And I said, well, so-and-so lost but because of this. And you said, well, when did that happen? I go, well, the 1840 election. And you go, well, that was 1840. <laughs> um, so you can say, yeah, there's significant differences between today and 18. But history matters. You're right. But this was, I mean, Ted, the lesson we learned from Vietnam is not that old. I mean, like and I this said, was really Scott, you were saying earlier, we were, we were talking pre podcast this morning um, that, that, you know, this is a lot exactly like the evacuation, exactly. the fall of Saigon. And it is, I mean, our colleagues on the left and on the right are saying, well, especially uh, liberal Democratic colleagues, they're saying that, that it's not anything alike. It's exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, bullshit. in both cases, in both cases, we were halfway around the world in a country that we had no business being in, no sound legal or political reason to be there. We were there for way too long, propping up an, an unpopular, corrupt puppet regime. And um, it and in both cases, uh, when the political will just evaporated, we just fecklessly dropped the ball like a child who got like a bored child just going, bloop, dropping the ball and walked away and didn't even, you know, we didn't even plan a, a sound, intelligent exit strategy. Which is just astounding. I mean, honestly, I mean, and no offense to you, Ted, but you're a cartoonist in New York. Right. And you still predicted this so much better than the the 
Okay, can we stop? Can we start putting quotes around the word intelligence when we say intelligence community? Because clearly, if the last 20 years have proved anything, they're anything but. So, I mean, Ted yeah. Rawl was saying unequivocally, when we <laughs> from say- From Kettering, Dayton, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> the pride of Dayton. Uh, <laughs> just a guy, just a guy who draws pictures, just like yeah, you. Yeah, but you paid attention and you immersed yourself in that culture and understood it. I have to believe there's people in the State Department. Well, no, I don't have to believe it anymore because I don't that actually had that same level of intelligence and ability to look at Afghanistan and say, you know what, how, why we're, how we're, you and I had these discussions for years, Ted, how are we going to lose this war? You know, how's that? And you said, because they're there. Yeah. They live yeah, there. They're there. They're going to, yeah, they know. have all the advantages. I mean, that's the thing is, you know, I, I was frustrated even in recent weeks to read stories that would say things like the Taliban are invading. Well, they're not invading. I mean, these are people who these are indigenous. I mean, these are yeah. school teachers, taxi drivers, shopkeepers. And during the day, they, you know, they tend their store. And at night, they go out and set uh, IEDs. Right. I mean, that's that's how it is. The, this is a traditional um, is, you know, underground resistance organization in the same not not the same ideology, but in the same organizational structure as, like, say, the French resistance during World War II. Uh, you only know uh, one person recruits you, you know them, and you are meant to recruit two more people. So you, if you're ever caught, you can only betray three people under torture. Um, you know, it's, it's very simple, really, but they live there. It's yeah. their thing. I mean, we don't. We just don't have any, as much skin in the game. It was something we did on the side. Yeah, it was. I mean, I thought going in and this is where Afghanistan Ted, was a side hustle for us. <laughs> this is where Ted and I disagree a little bit. I thought there should have been some military action there because following 9-11, we wanted to have something happen. Right. So there were camps in the northeastern part of the country. Or at least there were four to, of them. Yeah. OK, so go in, bomb them, you know, do the do the bill, you know, the Bill Clinton thing, bomb them, get them. You, know, you could even put boots on the ground for a week and then get the hell out of there. Uh, or or use it to to be a base to go against uh, tar real targets in um, in Western Pakistan. We didn't where do that. there were thousands of camps, thousands. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Instead, we gave the government of Pervez Musharraf, the military dictator there, who came to power with the help of the Taliban. By the way, we gave him billions of dollars in extra foreign aid. Uh, we we propped him up. He was the guy who was harboring bin laden the entire time we had yeah we we disagree on this in that i think we had i think afghanistan was a ma massive distraction it had nothing to do with 9 11 this country never made any effort whatsoever to go after the perpetrators of 9 11 if i was a 9 11 um family member uh i would you know i would be furious because this country let the people who did this who who are pakistan in pakistan saudi arabia and to some extent egypt completely off the hook are they in yemen as well or is that another? not really no, no. not 9-11 let me ask you this ted as we as we move forward now talking about pro prognostication um what happens next uh in in afghanistan what do you think is the uh, is there a long-term psychological effect on the united states i mean it's a big question i'm just going to turn my mic off and let you talk well i think the um the effect on the on u.s foreign policy is incalculable this is a Mass, massive, breathtaking defeat, uh, psychically, uh, 
on par with the defeat in of in Vietnam. I think uh, I remember I was uh, 12 when Saigon fell, and I remember uh, watching with my mother um, on television as uh, U.S. troops were pushing Huey helicopters off the decks of aircraft carriers into the ocean, and there was imagery of billions of dollars of uh, ca- cash being burnt. Uh, at banks and on the rooftops of the U.S. Embassy so that it wouldn't fall into the hands of the uh, of the enemy. My mom turned to me and she said, you know, we are never going to pay this shit off. Um, the, the, we've lost natu- major natural gas rights, which was a lot of what the Vietnam War was about. Uh, we've lost billions of dollars in materiel. Um, there's you know, this is we're paying compound interest because we do this. We borrow money to go to fight these wars. So. She was like, this is like, this is the beginning of the end for the U.S. And this is the beginning of the end, part two in, in Kabul. I think it's it's that bad. It's on that scale. Um, it's catastrophic financially, uh, morally. Um, it's going to be hard for any country in the world, any other regime that we prop up to really think that we're going to be there for them. Um, but in terms of what happens next, most importantly, I think, is to the people of Afghanistan who deserve uh, they deserve better than they've ever had. To let's just put it that way, they've suffered enough. Um, I think the you know just reading the tea leaves at this point, which is the second day of the Taliban regime um, in power, is hard to do. But you can look at you can see certain indications. For example, the Taliban spokesman has said that anybody who worked for the U.S. Their personal safety and their property is guaranteed officially by the Islamic Emirate, as the new government calls itself. Um, They say that women will be allowed to continue to work, that uh, international NGOs are welcome to stay. There's been they've been silent on the question of whether they will seize the U.S. embassy or not. Um, I think it would have been smart for them to say that the U.S. was welcome to come back and establish a diplomatic presence. This is a different Taliban. The this is not. Um, the Taliban of uh, 1996 to 2001. Uh, in some ways, they're worse. They're more corrupt. Uh, they're not uh, religious essites. But on the other way, on other ways, these are modern people. They use they use smartphones. Um, you know, they they drive cars. They're uh, they're very um, sophisticated, and I think they're they want to be connected to the world. Uh, they want diplomatic relations. They want the seat at the United Nations. They want international foreign aid. They know that means accepting NGOs. They know it means not leaning on women too heavily. Um, So I think what they're aiming to be is something that looks more like Pakistan, an Islamic state that has that has international recognition, is allowed to engage in foreign trade, um, is fairly modern, but follows Sharia law. Um, and uh, still, of course, is uh, is patriarchal and misogynistic in the way that Pakistan is. Um, so I think in many ways, it, the last 20 years were worse than most Americans knew. Stonings continued. There were honor killings, systemic rape of young boys. Uh, the U.S. turned a blind eye to all that. I was in Kunduz in 2010, while U.S. troops were directing traffic around a stoning. Um, this, I think the, what happens next will be less bad than people think. That's not to say it's going to be Switzerland. It won't be. But it will not be as bad, I think, as people expect. Now, you're talking about possibly going back. Is that right? 
Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm itching. I'm uh, watching. I'm every day. I'm, I'm like, oh my god, I wish I were there. You know. Well, the order went out, and um, we are going to have to wrap this up in a little bit. But I do want to touch on this. The order went out yesterday that Americans who hadn't made it to either the embassy or the airport should should shelter in place, <laughs> COVID style. Yeah, I mean, but I'm thinking, what happened? Okay, again, you're an American in Kabul you know, the Taliban's come in, what happens? And you're hiding in your apartment. What happens to you? It's anybody's guess. And um, I have to say, I know this happened quickly, but honestly, you know, the Biden administration knew that they were going to withdraw as soon as they were, they won the election. Um, This is not a new thing. They should have gotten all Americans uh, and all uh, Afghans who worked for the Americans out already months ago. This is one of those things. There was no reason to drag their feet the way that they have. Um, so I just want to say that's inexcusable. And if you're American and you're in Kabul hiding out in your apartment, ultimately, look, the airport's going to be closed within hours. You're not getting out that way. So, and you're not going to be able to get smuggled out like in the back of a truck. I mean, ultimately, you're going to have to come out of your hidey hole. You're going to have to present yourself to the local Taliban officials and ask for assistance in leaving the country. Um, and, you know, it's I think it's going to de- it's going to depend who you talk to. Uh, you know, the Taliban are people. Some of them are nice. Some of them are assholes. Some most somewhere, most of them are somewhere in between, just like us. And uh, so, it, you know, it's like going up to a cop. You never know if you're going to get someone nice or someone not. So if they get someone reasonable, I mean, if I guess my biggest concern here, and nobody's really talking about this, is how decentralized the leadership of the Taliban movement is at this time. I mean, there was there's no Mullah Omar. Um, what there's going to be is a is a Shura council of uh, various top commanders who are going to gather and uh, make make decisions communally. Mm. And anyone who was ever at Occupy Wall Street knows how efficient that is. <laughs> um, you know, so it's going to be hard for foreign powers to, to negotiate. Uh, you know, let's say we have Americans who are still trapped there. It's going to be hard for the State Department to know who to talk to and pick up the phone with. So I would I hope for everybody's sake that the Taliban work this out and uh, develop a structure where it's going to be possible for them to communicate efficiently with someone who can actually make deals and have them stick. Uh, If that happens, it'll be probably, I think it's probably in the interest of the Taliban to allow Americans to leave if they want to, or to stay unmolested if they want to. Um, I hope they do that. Um, You know, these aren't the same people who blow up the Buddha statues. They're just not. it's so it's a different kind of thing um so but i would say you know in this particular atmosphere if you're an american and you come out tomorrow it could go badly for you yeah i would imagine so i mean uh, biden was talking about sending 5000 troops to help you know ease the way are those guys just like waiting at laguardia now because their plane has been canceled we're, we're Oh, I think they're on their I think they're on their way right now. I think they are like half of them are already there. Basically, the last bit of somewhat American controlled Afghanistan is the Kabul airport, which, of course, I've been to. And it's a big, big place. So um, 6000 troops might sound like a lot. But if you really want to 
control uh, the perimeter of this place and avoid scenes like yesterday with uh, planes taking off with uh, Afghan civilians grabbing onto the wheel wells and, and falling off on uh, over the city, over the skies of Kabul. Um, they're going to need those 6,000 troops. I think the Taliban totally are staying out of, or they're going to stay out of the way of this. Um, they, they're happy to watch the Americans go. Uh, they're going to let them go. They're not going to shoot at their planes. They're going to be, it's going to be, they're going to be able to get out. And I think those, the problem is that the translators, we didn't do shit for them. We just left them. Yeah. Which again is, it's beyond imagining for me to watch this and go. And I, 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 boy, I hate to sound like the old man I've become, but I mean, I'm just like, this is exactly what happened, you know, 40 plus year, 50 plus years ago. Exactly. Exactly. It is. I mean, exactly. And to say that we couldn't have seen this coming is horseshit. It just, it just isn't true. I think the speed was astonishing. And I think what a lot, again, people don't really understand, you know, and I want to just point out, by the way, in the midst of all this hand wringing, that this could have been as bad as it is much worse. I mean, there were hardly any, I mean, there was not very much heavy fighting throughout Afghanistan. I mean, the Taliban in one month, seized an entire country. I doubt that there were 5,000 battlefield deaths countrywide. I seriously doubt it. Um, So that's a remarkable achievement. And the reason that that happened is because the Afghan way is a lot of it is based on posturing. In some ways, it's very, it's very uh, modern and intelligent. Um, When one side uh, is over, has overwhelming force, they will contact the other side via satellite phone and say, listen, We've got you guys surrounded. We don't want to kill you. Uh, come out, surrender, shake hands, give us your weapons, and you can go home to your families. and Or you can join us. So the reason that, that things cascaded so quickly and the body count is so low is because a lot of uh, people did that. And um, Afghan National Army troops took that deal, surrendered their weapons, and in many cases joined the Taliban and are now fighting with them. So, you know, if in traditional warfare, as Westerners know it, you go in, you, you, you uh, capture or kill your enemy. If you capture them, you have to deal with them as a prisoner of war, not in Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, if you capture them, they join you. So not only have you defeated an enemy, you know, so they're minus one, you're up one, because you've just picked up someone new, you're like an amoeba. So you're plus two. So things move quickly. So right now, American, um, the U.S. Um, Army is seven, two, and one. <laughs> seven, seven defeats. victories. Seven oh, victories. Two, okay. two defeats. One, one draw. And this is from the entire time, or yeah, this is from the Revolutionary War. Oh right, right, right. It, there are records not that good over the last, say, seventy years. I'd say seven, two, and one gets you into the playoffs, but barely. Yeah, but the trend's not looking good. No, um, no, we've zero uh, and two for the last two big ones. Uh, you can and look pe- the people and the will Taliban, point to, you know, the, like Grenada or Panama. No, but the thing about the Taliban is it is a remarkable military achievement. I mean, they have they had they had no air power at all. Most of their weapons were sixty to eighty years old. Um, they had light arms exclusively. They didn't have Stinger missiles anymore. They didn't have, uh, they hardly had surface air missiles to speak of. 
and they defeated the United States of America. I mean, they defeated an army that had the most sophisticated uh, drone presence in the world. Uh, we have uh, amazing satellite technology, special forces, trillions of dollars in military assets, and it still wasn't enough. No, no, it wasn't. So um, we're going to wrap things up here. I really appreciate you listening to this week's edition of the DMZ America podcast. Uh, Ted, where can people read? First of all, where can they buy your books and read up where you were coming from many years ago? So you can, uh, so raw.com is the website, R-A-L-L.com. And uh, I've written a number of books about it uh, to Afghanistan and back. Uh, is uh, my my book about the 2001 invasion uh, and my experiences there. Uh, in 2011, I did a book that came out in 2014. I did a book called After We Kill You, We Will Welcome You Back as Honored Guests, Unembedded in Afghanistan. I wish the title were shorter. And I also did a book called Gas War, The Truth About the American Occupation of Afghanistan. Um, so, you know, any of those books are available on Amazon or through my website if you want your copy signed. And Scott, where can we find your work at the Chicago Tribune and elsewhere? Well, you can go to the Chicago Tribune or .com or go to gocomics.com slash Scott Stantis, all one word, or go to gocomics.com slash Prickly City, which of course is my comic strip. And that's, um, that's what I'm writing about this week, of course, is the Afghanistan uh, collapse and um, where we go from here. So Ted, thank you. Thank you, Scott. Hopefully we'll have something a little less grim and somber to talk about next time uh let's hope so fingers crossed let's not okay. any, let's not invade anything into in infrastructure <laughs> infrastructure people love to hear about infrastructure i hear afghanistan needs some new infrastructure actually they don't where they we left them a lot of roads and bridges and yeah, stuff we sure did yeah and the I internet hope... so they have wi-fi yeah and they <laughs> captured their and i hear they captured some predator drones so well, that that's good Oh, that's great. That's fabulous. Ted, thank you. And to all of you listening, thank you. And until next time, we'll see you in the fun